0: Now that we live in the modern age, people say, meaning, don't you know that we left superstition and ignorance behind? Can't you catch up? The viewpoint has generated a powerful belief that history is automatically going somewhere. It has a meaning. It has a point. With that somewhere being a steady, more free, open, liberal, and tolerant society, this people believe is now inevitable. We can't stand in its way and we shouldn't try. Over. Over Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Byler, and we've got another episode dealing with a subset of something that is talked about in chapter two, Gospels of Sin Management. I want to take some time and talk about one of the ways in which. That ideology expresses itself in our uh, current world, and that would be through what N.T. Wright calls the doctrine of progress. So that's what this episode is going to be about, the doctrine of progress. So if you're questioning what I mean by that, go ahead and listen to the episode. I will tell you this episode was originally two separate recording sessions that I have put together because there was a lot of tangential conversations that we ended up having that I cut down. Um, So I tried to keep it to the meat of the conversation strictly on what is the doctrine of progress and what does that mean? So if you feel like the conversation skips around at certain points, this is me attempting to cut it at a point where um, a point had been made and that was the end of that and then we started something new. Um, I tried to make it flow well together. Um, but if you feel it's skipping around, that would be the reason why I've taken two conversations and then made them one. So next week, we'll move on to chapter three, which is what Jesus knew our God bathed the world. I'll see how I'm going to edit those together because we do have a lot of recordings for that conversation. And so as always, thank you guys very much. For listening, I hope that this is edifying and encouraging and that you enjoy it and you learn something new. And I really hope that this week we can reveal something to you, that we can show you something that you might not have thought before. But I promise you, once it's revealed to you, you will see just how prevalent this thing is. All right. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Byler, here with Daniel. We are continuing our series on the gospel, continuing our study of the divine conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Um, We've been tracking a lot of different stuff. Um, Last week, we dove into what I think is one of the most important chapters in the whole book. Uh, Chapter 2, the Gospel, Gospels of Sin Management. And we talked about how, much like when Alex and I had this discussion a year and a half ago, we talked about how there seems to be a split in the proclamation of the gospel by conservatives and by liberals. For many of the conservatives, those on the right, the gospel— that is actually a consequence of the gospel, that has become the gospel, as me and Daniel have been riffing on, is that it is about individual forgiveness, my personal salvation, so that I can go to heaven when I die, and then I'm right with God, and all, all the other things are secondary to that. This is why there's a big emphasis on street evangelism, getting people to pray a prayer, Getting people to use certain words um, to pray, prayer. prayer. Um, you know, the whole "I ask Jesus to forgive me." He comes into my heart. Um, they're oddly moralistic, though, which is, I think we discussed that a little bit last week. Um, but that's but that portion, the individual salvation, for my ability to go to heaven, and be right with God my soul cleansing is the point of many conservative christians those on the right um we use the phrase they would say you know it's so good that jesus was born so that he could die on the cross for my sins whereas those on the left would say man it's a shame jesus had to die he was off to such a good start where the revolutionary aspects of jesus take center stage the Help for the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden is central to that gospel. And the gospel of those on the left, the gospel that doesn't have Jesus' teacher, is something like a, what is, will it phrase, a commitment to the elimination of social or structural evils. And the main point that we kept hammering on last week, and I'll say it again is is that the danger in either of these and where they become the extremes the gospels of sin management because one is how do you manage your individual sin and one is how do you manage your your group sin let's say there's a lot of talk about group sin these days um and fair enough i guess um but what one side deems as central, the other side deems as non-essential. So to the conservatives, to the right leaners, there would be a de-emphasis on the social action portion of their faith. And then to the liberal side, there would be a heavy de-emphasis on the what like the spiritual disciplines, the individual time with God, the um, personal sins. Um, so, I think that's key, that each side deems non-essential what the other side deems essential. central. But Willard's point is, each of these miss something essential. And I teased it last week, and we never got there. But it is that both... Miss Jesus. As we've been saying for weeks, they confuse results or consequences of the gospel, me being made right with God through Jesus' life. life, death, and resurrection, or my then remapping of how I view the world to help those who are poor, who are oppressed, who are the widow, who are the orphan. Those are consequences of what happens when I follow Jesus. But those are not the gospel in and of themselves. And so, Daniel, you wanted to hit on a few things that we didn't get to last week with that. So I'll turn it over to you.
1: Yeah. So um, last week, I don't know if this just slipped my mind or if um, you could say maybe we ran out of time. Um But towards the end of the quote that I read on page 61 of The Divine Conspiracy, Willard talks about what I've been calling in my own language and life as I've been wrestling through these, the gospel of inclusion, which is a subset, I think, of the gospels of sin management. Um, And it definitely is the the left-leaning side of that. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people, who preach a gospel of inclusion. Um, and so what I'll read this quote and I'll explain a little bit of what I mean. Um, Total inclusivism of all beliefs and practices, except oppressive ones, such as the exclusivism of traditional Christianity itself,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: was the natural next step.
0: We, so we Christianity- read, You read some of this last week, but go ahead. Yes, yes, I read some of this I last And then I have week. another example.
1: Yeah, okay, great. Um, I read some of this last week, but I wanted to bring it back up again because there was one particular point that I don't feel like I made as well. Uh, Maybe I'm forgetting, but if I am, then I'll say it again. Um, I think what is really interesting to me is that I think the gospel of inclusion, it does this very interesting reversal or flip of the, the way things are. Now, you could see this as a, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. That's straight from Jesus, right? Um, So include people, bring people from the margins into the center, as though that's essential to the gospel. That's what the gospel is. Again, I think that's a consequence of the gospel. I think inclusion is important. In fact, I think a lot of what Paul is fighting for. And if you go back and you listen to our conversation about the New Testament letters and Paul, um, when we talked about, when we went through the New Testament in a bit more pointed discussion about what the Bible actually is, I talked about how Paul's not a theologian, he's a community builder. And I think what Paul's trying to do in building community Is get people to start including each other. So I think that that is a very crucial part and part of Jesus ministry right was extending. The inclusion within the family of God to the Gentiles. So again, I think it's important. But it doesn't mean that it is. The principle bar none and it also doesn't mean that that is a principle without limitations. Um, I think Jesus is very clear that we are to, I mean, I think I talk, touched on this last week, right? There are certain boundaries of the community. Do these behaviors and then you're excluded. That doesn't mean you can't be brought back in, but it means that you have to live in accordance with a standard. Now, that in and of itself is very contrary to the expressively individualistic framework that a lot of the left-leaning Gospels set themselves up in, right? If I can't express who I feel like I am on the inside, then that is not a problem or a deficiency in me, in my moral framework. That's a deficiency in your ability to include me. But um, to take it a step further than the discussions we had about this last week, I wanted to point out that this constant churning of taking the margins and bringing them into the interior of the group, that naturally pushes people out of the interior of the group who were there to begin with. And so you have this constantly recycling and constantly cascading and constantly moving sense of community, which allows people no sense of structure, no sense of stability, and no sense of predictability. And so, while I don't think it's appropriate to exclude people or to push people out to the margins, I also think we have to be very careful about creating dysfunctional community by constantly trying to reshape who's on the interior. Because I don't think that's a sustainable model either. And all it does is just create a new exterior, right? another person who needs to be then brought into the inside right because if you're pulling someone in and pushing someone else out simultaneously you're just creating a new person outside the group or on the periphery of the group who then needs to be brought in again and it's just a cyclical repetition of of the problem over and over and over again
0: right and you see you see this happen with a lot of um a lot of gay people now being mad at transgender ideology because they're called transphobic
1: yeah
0: which is like the snake is eating its own tail right now yeah you know
1: or or how the feminist movement and the, the transgender movement are diametrically opposed to right mm-hmm. because you're a
0: turf jk yeah. rowling mm-hmm. and so but think even that term what does it mean trans radical exclusionary feminist yeah so yeah exactly exactly
1: so um, with all of that being said, I think that leads us directly into the next type of gospel that, so we talked about gospels of sin management, you got the, the more right-leaning, the more left-leaning, we've got the gospel of inclusion, which is a subset of the left-leaning. I think this next one that we're going to talk about exists on both sides, but again, because of the cultural power that's now seated in one of those sides, it's more obvious in that side. Do mm-hmm. um, you want to talk a bit yes. about this before so, I play
0: the clip? So this would be the doc what uh, what Wright calls the doctrine of progress. Um, and so we'll read from him in a moment. But what I wanted to start with is someone that I've read before, uh, Nubigan. Now, keep in mind, Newbegin wrote this book in the late 80s. Um, but he has some interesting stuff to say about the. And keep in mind, I have also been reading these books in tandem. So it has been quite the adventure. Um, Newbegin's This Culture or The Gospel in Polaristic Society. And then uh, NT Writes, Simply Good News but they've been saying very, very similar things as we'll find out here in a minute. And, uh, just to, to give a little bit of prelude to what Newbegin's about to say, which I think is important. Newbigin begs has a few que- has a few chapters that, uh, that run together where he, he talks about history, how to read history, how to think about history. Um, he talks about um, revelation in history, election in terms of uh, Israel and the Bible. Then he talks about the Bible as universal history and Christ, the clue to history. Um, this, what I'm going to read is from chapter nine, Christ, the clue to history. Um, but much of what he begs in chapters eight and nine is the question of, history having a point, being able to study history with meaning in mind, and if you think about history having a point, having a meaning, then you are by nature thinking that there is some end to which we need to strive, the telos of history, and so Nubian is in this section pointing out the telos of many of how people look at well their future and then history which would then be why people in our culture can get canceled for things they said in the past because they didn't march in step with the movement of history where it should be going but then again if you're canceling people for something somebody said 10 years ago, you're just ensuring that you'll be canceled for what somebody says for what you say now, 10 years from now, because who knows what's offensive. This is exactly what Ricky Gervais says. Um, okay. Nubigen says this, the period in which the wealth and power of the nations now called developed or generated was marked by a strong belief in the idea of progress from the middle of the 18th century until the First World War, Europe and its cultural offshoots largely lived largely by and with the faith that progress is the meaning of history. In the strength of that belief, they achieved, they achieved prodigies of science, industrial, technological, and political development. It was no accident that this belief developed within the society shaped by Christian teaching. Culture too. Its roots are in the biblical vision of a meaningful history. Think about Israel, the Exodus, the prophets, the promised land. The first beginnings of the doctrine can be traced to the revival of millenarian beliefs in the 16th and 17th centuries, bringing the millennial reign of Christ, ushering in the fullness of the Gentiles. In terms of the theological analysis which I'm following, one could say that it was a one-sided development of the New Testament hope. One-sided that it was an attempt to reproduce in history the power of the resurrection without the marks of the cross. It had an optimistic view of the possibilities of human history and failed to recognize the enduring power of that which works to destroy human life. Its most daring development has been in Marxism, which undertakes to deliver humankind finally and completely from what alienates and enslaves us so that humanity can at last take control of its own destiny. It is not an accident, but a matter of inner necessity that this project has led to the most terrible mass destruction of human beings that history has known. For if the meaning of history is to be found in a state of society, which will exist only after all those now living are dead or canceled. That is what the doctrine of progress implies. Then those now living are expendable or cancelable. Their lives have no meaning other than their contribution to the total project, progress. But Marxism is by no means the only form which the idea of progress has reached its nemesis. Nationalism of various hues have pursued the same path, sacrificing millions. What, was, what did Hitler call it? The final solution. Sacrificing millions of human beings to a national project and even in some Christian circles, one finds voices decrying the traditional forms of compassionate service to the suffering, because these will only delay the revolution, after which everything will be put right. This combination of moral cynicism with political naivete demonstrates the way in which a doctrine of progress, which seeks to give meaning to history by fixing attention on a future earthly utopia, can operate Earthly utopia can operate to deny meaning to the life of the human person, now suffering the wrongs that society inflicts. The doctrine of progress, which sustained Western society through its great period of expansion, is now dead, or it's taken a different form. It perhaps only survives among those Marxists who live under non-Marxist governments. And few of those living under Marxist governments are now Marxists. And I wrote in the margin, Doctrine of Progress.
1: Yeah, so... History
0: hasn't a meaning. There is a telos, there is an end, which is progress. Moving towards a state where everyone is safe, secure, united, and invited.
1: And equal, presumably. And equal. And only the achievement of that, and only in the achievement of that, can we recognize that we are where we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Thus making everything that we have to do in order to get there permissible, Mm -hmm. which is why you see so many atrocities occur in states that have this ultimate view in mind without taking care of the people that they're over Or the people that they need to step on, presumably, in order to get this job done. Mm -hmm. And it is this gospel of progress, this idea of this teleological, constant teleological progression towards something that led to so many atrocities in the 20th century, and I fear will lead to many more. Um, so, that I think, and Wright does a great job of pointing out that it's on both sides. And so, yeah, I fear that we've come to a point where it's, it should be obvious that this is what's going on, but because of everything else that we have going on in our culture, the hyperpolarization, and the entrenchment we have in our own Gospels, mm-hmm. we, we miss it
0: entirely. We're going back to your ideas about controlling speech, those on the outside, on the inside. Those on the outside, those on the
1: inside. And they talk a little bit about the cultural flip, but in this one specifically, they're going to talk about this view that progress is inevitable mm-hmm. um, and that it can't really be stopped. Um, it can just be hindered, really. And as we remember from the 1980s and fundamentalist Christianity is that
0: it creates a reaction. Right. So, so now you have the rise of the alt-right, this reaction yes. against the leftist vision. And, and for the, for the leftists, like the last election was such a fascinating moment for me. If you live in a Portland or in the urban core of a major city that leans left or in Portland's case is like all the way over on the ground to the left, once okay. we read this, I have I have something to read. Something okay. else. So I have to grab it from the okay, I'll, living I'll room, pl- but
1: I'll play this real quick.
0: Go ahead. The election was baffling because you just you buy into this narrative that we're right. And by we, I mean, you know, the Portland leftist vision. Everybody else is wrong. We are the the march to utopia is inevitable. And it's only a matter of time until people become as smart as we are. And mm-hmm. then everybody agrees with us and we enter into utopia. That's the, that's the
2: mindset of a New York, Pause. of a you know, media. Real quick, I want to make one point.
1: But this is one of the reasons why early on I was such, I, I hammered on intellectual humility so much. Because it really is the principle that someone else knows something that you might not know and they might have a good point. And if you're so stuck in your own world and in your own echo chamber that you don't listen to the potentially good point that someone else has, this is where you
0: end up. Yeah, but, shocked
1: that someone else won an election because all you've heard is that same voice echoed around you
0: mm-hmm. constantly. But if you back up 30 seconds and let him say that mindset again, is that not the mindset of people who say drain the swamp, Trump 2024? If only people would get on board with our vision oh, of what yep. the country needs, build the wall, da-da-da-da-da. Yep, then we'll be good. Yep. It's progress towards a different end. It's yep. progress by conservation.
1: Yep. So there's progress by tearing down everything that already exists and building something new. And there's progress in carrying the old stuff that is good forward, mm-hmm. presumably. And th- those are the two, the two modes that we can operate
0: in. I will give a little bit of prelude, I guess. Um. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to give you guys some modern examples of this happening, things that have happened in like the past month of the doctrine of progress popping up in pop culture. And well, as we all know, Lightyear came out and all the conservatives were in an uproar because there's a lesbian kiss in the movie and one of the astronauts that Buzz is with on this mission is the part, is one of the partners. So she talks about her relationship with her partner, right? And so there's big uproar about this being in a kids' movie. Da, 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 da. And so Chris Evans was asked about this in an interview. And if you want to back up just a little bit and keep in mind the words that he just used when things are said, when you do things in service of diversity and inclusion and you know progress he doesn't say it but that's what he means right um just listen to how chris responds in light of what we've been saying
1: whenever you do something about representation yeah. or diversity representation. Or whenever you sure you always push back um i mean what would you i mean how would you counter that i suppose
2: well i mean the real truth is those people are idiots i mean i think throughout history you can see every time there's been social advancement as we wake up i mean the 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 american story the human story is is one of constant social awakening and growth and that's that's what that's what makes us good and and you know when that happens there's always going to be people who are uh afraid and uh, uh unaware and and trying to hold on to what was before but those people die off like dinosaurs. And so, you know, I think the the goal is to pay them no mind, march forward, and and, and embrace the growth that makes us human.
0: I would say to those people, just like with Buzz,
1: like, you know, re- refurbish your idea of tradition. You mm-hmm. know, understand that it's now, it's to infinity and beyond. It's time to move forward. It's time to accept and look and, and you know, uh, Enjoy all the faces that have always been there. That's you right. know what I mean? They always been a part of the picture. You just try to like paint them out. So that's also what this is about. It's about this is the this is what it looks like. This is what it's always been. And yeah, to infinity and beyond. Yes. Hey Google, what's this song?
0: Oh, I hate this hat so much. Anyway, <laughs> I get it all the freaking time, dude. Um, well, no history the american story the human story is social awakening we progress we move forward we and those there's always people back there but they die like what dinosaurs this is the doctrine of progress but
1: to the point you made earlier the same thing exists on the opposite side right yeah with trying to um frame a stronger, conserve a stronger community and build things up that way as though we're going to reach this utopian moral society through conservation of a certain moral ethic. Um, And one of the things that I've been wrestling with right now is um, what's the proper tension between these two extremes? Because I think there has to be Mm -hmm. a right position but I don't think it's conserve everything blindly or tear everything down blindly. It's not chaos and it's not rigid stability. It's somewhere in between. And again, to make either of those two things gospel is missing the point of what Jesus is doing. To bring this back to our like overarching theme, if you make either of those two things gospel, you're still looking for a kingdom without a king.
0: Because mm-hmm. who's the one leading the revolution?
1: Yeah. It, it's in either of those camps, you, you have the, the traditionalists or, for lack of a better term, the rebels, right? Yeah. And
0: the margins.
1: Yeah. And so... Both of them come down to a, a simplistic gospel that is ultimately without, I think, real fruit of the kingdom.
0: Mm-hmm. So we have another example. This is uh, Dave Portnoy, who, if you don't know who that is, he is the president, owner, founder of Barstool Sports. Um he at least in the past was very much seen as a conservative he was kind of he was on the trump train more or less um so kind of in that realm but when roe v wade got overturned you know a few three weeks ago or whatever that was um he said this
2: right does that have an impact does this make single issue voters that are going to go to the polls in the midterms when i mean the democrats have been polling fucking horribly and that's a real question because among the responses that we're seeing we're seeing some that you would think are unlikely like dave portnoy of barstool sports well seen by many as a trumpy conservative putting out a video today saying what the fuck's happening in our country to me this is just pure insanity pure insanity we are going backwards in time we are literally going backwards in time It it makes no sense how anybody thinks it's their right to tell a woman what to do with her body. I just don't get it. To take away the ability to make informed decisions on how they want to live their lives is bananas. I know people will be like, well, no, it's a constitutional issue. They're just giving it to the states. Well, like what, 20 states are saying they're going to overturn it right away? And what if you're poor in that state and you can't go to another state and things like that? It's just nuts to me. Not to mention the same people are saying, you know, the, they want to take it away and overturn it, are also like, got to protect guns because of the Constitution. At what point do you look at the Constitution and say, hey, this was written by people who had slaves. Maybe not everything is exactly to a T in the Constitution. Like a million years from now, you're going to use a document written in the... It's just nuts in what world. The world evolves. People evolve. Technology evolves. You've got to evolve. You can't stick with this document and look at that and be like, that's the end-all be-all. It, it, it's literally crazy pills. This is uh, coming from somebody pause. who consistently is like...
0: Do you not hear the same thing? We're going backwards. We're literally going backwards. How long are you going to you know, found have the foundation of your decisions on a document that is X number of years old or the people who wrote this thing you know committed x sin so therefore shouldn't be taken seriously because they weren't on the train of progress you know it's and whether you agree with him or not is beside the point i'm trying to make i'm just trying to make the point of what he's saying is the doctrine of progress it is exactly what chris evans and dave Portno are saying whether they'd say it Whether they would use those words to describe it or not That is what they're espousing
1: Well and the reason That we pulled these two because you could say oh well these These two white guys are just pulling The liberal examples because they want to hate on them I've tried a whole lot to point Out the the same standard On the other side Mm -hmm. Um, and though I do Have my political leanings on all Of these issues The fact of the Matter is Both sides have their Camps that present these gospels of progress, though in different ways, and they present them to an unhealthy degree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right now, it just so happens that, as we've made the point, the cultural
0: swing is in, in one of, direction. In and terms so, of media, those that make movies, those yeah. that do, you know. And so these examples news are more readily available.
1: Um, and in the cultural yeah. moment we have right now, these are things that have been happening contemporarily as we've been recording.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But, but yeah, it's, it's very prevalent across the board.
0: And um, I mean, what did you send me a video yesterday from Ruslan and he was like, yeah, they learned cancel culture from conservatives.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's
0: like, yeah, this is what I said earlier.
1: Yep. Cancel culture was developed from conservatives who at the time had the cultural power. Mm -hmm. right they had the ability to do it which is why i think a neutral limiting principle is important because if you have a neutral limiting standard that everyone has to meet then you can't do any of this double standard stuff and it's exactly the game that we're playing right now and i think it's ultimately destructive i think let's just be ironic i think that's not progression i think we're going backwards how about that right so
0: so let's um let's just hammer this home some more this is um from simply good news as i said i've been reading this in tandem with the gospel in a pluralist society And we'll see them saying the same thing again. This is from Wright's chapter Distorted and Competing Gospels, which is the topic of conversation for today. He says, but this sense of a modern revolution has now gone away, has has now gone way beyond the boundaries of new science and technology, new transport, new transport and medicine. A great many people believe that prior to the modern world, everything was shrouded in ignorance and superstition. Without modern science, people don't really know what the world was like. Without our newly enlightened understanding, they thought the world was flat, or the moon was made of green cheese, or that there were fairies at the bottom of the garden, or that there was an old man up in the sky called God who would throw you into hell unless you smartened up. Whereas we, of course, now know better. We have escaped the, prim- the primitive slavery of such views. We are liberated. We are progressive. We know that the world is now advancing into its new age of freedom, the freedom to do what we like without fear of the old man upstairs. What is it that Willard said? Anything that inhibits my desire is considered sin. Freedom and equality. These were the slogans of the French Revolution in the late 18th century, and they still serve as the marching song of the modern enlightenment mood of the mood to this day the third french slogan brotherhood is a bit harder because we find ourselves locked in a struggle with people who don't see the world the way we do which is of course what the french revolutionaries themselves discovered though that is another story these slogans condition in particular the way people talk not least in the media which reinforces this viewpoint hour by hour and minute by minute. Whenever you hear someone say, now that we live in the 21st century or in this day and age, you would expect you are hearing the enlightenment and it's assumed we have all signed on. Whether people refer to a moral belief that almost everyone endorsed until 20 or 30 years ago as Stone Age morality, their dinosaurs and they're going to die. They are appealing with gross exaggeration to chronological snobbery. That's Lewis's phrase, by the way. Now that we have modern science and technology, we know that everything they believed back in the dark ages or wherever was just superstitious ignorance. Many people today have this narrative in their heads. This is the problem. Millions of people in the modern Western world take it for granted that the And this is important. Millions of people in the modern Western world take it for granted that the great defining turning point in human history happened with the rise of the modern Western world. Even if you hate the West or not. Putting it like this shows just how self-centered and self-serving this belief has been. If you look at the world that way, you are bound to see everything else everything else recognized around that central point. You will inevitably see some of what went before a superstition that is now out of date. You may, if you are feeling generous, see some earlier people and movements as forerunners of the brave new modern world. Many people have co-opted Jesus in that way. He was really a modern libertarian born at the wrong time, What you will never be able to do is imagine that the great turning point in human history occurred when Jesus of Nazareth died as the would-be king of the Jews and was raised again three days later.
1: So the question becomes, where do we put the emphasis? Do we put it on ourselves and our own cultural framework, the cultural reset that was the Enlightenment, or do we put it on the work of Jesus as king? the ministry and teaching that he lived out in his daily life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's ultimately the question.
0: Wright says this in a later chapter called wrong future, wrong present. And maybe Newbigin would say wrong history. This is entitled. The section is entitled the problem with progress. He says, I'll go, I'll skip up a little bit because he builds up to this, what he says here. He says this, now that we've got that out of the way, more important questions appear. There is one large problem in particular that makes any Christian vision of the future difficult. Once again, we find the legacy of the Enlightenment. This time, we need to examine the doctrine of progress. Doctrine, isn't that a strong, almost Christian word? for a philosophical teaching? Yes, and that is exactly how progress is used. I spoke two chapters ago about the way the scientific discoveries and political innovations of the 18th century gave rise to the view that this caused human history to turn at a vital corner so that everything must now be seen in a new light. Now that we live in the modern age, people say, meaning, don't you know that we left superstition and ignorance behind, can't you catch up? The viewpoint has generated a powerful belief that history is automatically going somewhere. It has a meaning. It has a point. With that somewhere being a steady, more free, open, liberal, and tolerant society, this, people believe, is now inevitable. We can't stand in its way and we shouldn't try. To do so, in other words, the secular world of the last two centuries has got its own vision of the future and the way that future will arrive. And this is radically at odds with the Christian vision of God and remaking of heaven, of God's remaking of heaven and earth, and with the chronological snobbery of the 18th century, which we discussed in chapter four. So now with what we might call the eschatological snobbery of progress. The world is going where it needs to go. All we have to do is get on board and we'll get there.